0: of the polar vortex, Des Moines, Iowa, formerly known as the Cultural and Culinary Crossroads of America, now known as the town that is 33 degrees colder today than the furthest northernmost city in the world. That's pretty incredible. Anyway, that was this morning when I woke up. I looked at my phone. Zero degrees in Des Moines, 33 degrees in uh, Longyearbyen in Sweden. Anyway... Uh (laughs) <laughs> so that's, 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 that's our that's our climate comeuppance moment there. Hey, folks, uh, before well, we, we kick – We'll be talking later about how CO2 is good for us. CO2 is great for us. I can't wait to get a big mouthful of that. Anyway, uh, before we go off to our uh, conversation here with Dr. Craig Anderson, uh, professor of uh, psychology at Iowa State University, I want to take a second to thank some of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store. And a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant at East 5th and Walnut, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers, even in the heart of the polar vortex. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located at 6th and College. You can always get a fair price and an excellent diagnosis the first time at Sargent's. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street, between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. Okay, so Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with me. We can't get rid of this guy. This is Ed Fallon, your host here. And on the phone with us, uh, Craig Anderson, professor of psychology at Iowa State University, just completed some research with uh, a grad student, I believe? Yes. Well, congratulations on that. Bell, yeah. Well, and, uh, and some interesting research, too. Basically, the if I can boil it down to one, uh, one tagline, climate change makes us angrier.
1: Uh, Well, that's one of three. (laughs) One of three findings. Uh, uh, And that that actually has been known for some time, that that when people are uncomfortably warm, they tend to interpret ambiguous uh, provocations as more severe. They tend to respond uh, in a more aggressive fashion. And this has an impact on... um, sort of day-to-day aggression, but it also is is large enough that it even influences um, violent crimes, such mm-hmm. as, you know, homicide and assault. Uh, so that's one way that uh, this rapid global warming is uh, going to increase the likelihood of aggressive behavior and even violent behavior in the future.
0: And, uh, I mean, partly we know that just because when when uh summertime heats up <laughs> uh you tend to see a, a rise in violent crime and that's I, I believe that's pretty well documented correct
1: right right and in fact our research team uh over the years is is the primary one that has documented that uh, time and time again right uh and it 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 and it occurs even when you control for other things that you think might uh, be creating that so uh, you know hotter cities for example tend to show uh, uh, higher violent crime rates than cooler cities even after you control for things like poverty rate and uh, sort of age distribution uh, in you know in the city that is how many people are in the high violent crime years and all kinds of economic and demographic variables you, you still get this uh, heat effect
0: so there 's more violent crime in theory in Miami than in minneapolis yes right, <laughs> but part of the part of this uh, situation with climate change is of course we 've got. Uh, not just um, increased heat globally, although you you, you wouldn 't know that i mean well I, I understand what 's happening here with the polar vortex, which is right we 're benefiting quote benefiting haha from the warming of the Arctic, but uh, when you look at some of the uh, uh, the areas where drought is going to become worse or already already is becoming worse, yeah i mean that 's going to lead to food shortages and again we i mean the, really the case study it seems to me right now is syria uh, syria,
1: syria. Is, it, yeah, is a good example of a case where extreme weather events, uh, which have been predicted for years by the climate change science types, where an extreme weather event, unusual drought, uh uh created severe economic problems that led to eco-migration, migration, uh that is large groups of people moving from one area of the country to another seeking uh, the ability basically to make a living uh the government was unable to respond in a sufficiently positive fashion and and that kind of you know that contributed to the uh ongoing unrest and and the you know, civil war within Syria uh and there are other examples there are examples from uh Africa uh and you know there's just over the last few, you know, decades, and um, so basically, one of the things that uh, Andreas and I uh, put together uh, was a review of, of relevant studies from a psychology standpoint, uh, and we came up with three different ways that rapid global warming is going to increase violence in the future. You know, the one we've already talked about is sort of the direct effect of heat on people becoming more irritable. Right. Uh, but the other two maybe are even more important, at least in the context of global warming. One is that we know what the risk factors are that lead uh, even, you know, from, from prenatal time, you know, a fetus to grow up to become a violence-prone adult. So there are prenatal effects, uh, such as malnutrition of the mother uh, and stress of the mother and so on, uh through early childhood all the way through you know uh, adolescence and so on well it turns out that many of the known risk factors for creating violence prone adults are the kind of things that this rapid climate change is going to increase in large numbers of people you know right. malnutrition uh broken homes uh uh
0: and we, and we can be seeing these trends on not just a localized level but a, a global level. and that
1: this, Right. These are appearing at a it global a whole, level.
0: That creates a whole different set of
2: problems when it's that right. widespread. And
1: well, when you I, have I, I, echo migration –
3: yeah,
2: go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say, it, one of the big factors is, is that I think most people forget that for most of humanity's history, uh, people have been migratory, and the notion of the nation-state setting up artificial borders – when people would need to move to adjust to the new temperate zones, which may well be in different parts of the Or world. to escape the volcano or the Hans burning down your village. Well, yeah. right, but we can't blame climate change uh, leading to vol- uh, volcanism. But, but the point is, is just the as, as the professor was starting to say, um, displacement, physical displacement, uh, having to migrate to where the new growing areas will be um, – across national borders is a setup for uh, this kind of stress.
0: I think think this big wall Trump's putting up is going to come back to bite us, because there's a chance that we're going to want to be migrating south.
2: Right. Well, actually, I I, I think the wall should have been put to surround the American south and forget about the war. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) There he goes.
4: There he goes
0: again. I can't control that, uh, Craig. Sorry. (laughs) you
1: know, One of the things that I'm sort of concerned about is this uh yeah you know, we 've been looking at we being the united states but but some other countries as well we 've been looking at at what is becoming a migration crisis uh worldwide as as uh, something that that 's you know bad for for say the u s but in fact immigration to the u s uh, in general uh, is typically good for the u s uh, unless you treat it as as uh, a liability instead of an asset, and what i 'm saying is you we can treat that as an asset uh, and we need to treat it as an asset and and make it uh, more you know easier for uh, appropriate you know immigration make it easier for people to, who need to uh, leave where they are to immigrate to the u s make it easy for them to become. Productive citizens in the U.S., and you'll actually see an economic boom from that, rather than uh, this. Oh, they're coming, and taking away our jobs, kind of stuff. But, well, but we need to plan ahead.
0: And there's plenty right? of historical evidence to support that as well. Hey, i, I have a question for you, uh, Craig. Is uh, has there been any pushback against your study, the one that the study that you and Andreas? I forget Andrea's last name. I know he's the student that works with me. Miles Novello. Miles Novello, Any pushback right. on the uh, on the research.
1: Well, we now we now have our first hate mail.
2: So congratulations.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, from I used to get a lot leader? of hate. Pardon me.
2: <laughs> Was it from the family leader?
1: <laughs> I, I, I can't you know <laughs> where, where I don't know exactly where it came from, but. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you know you've know you know you've you've touched the nerve when you finally start getting hate and in this case- of course, it's email these days you don't actually get real mail uh <laughs> but uh but yeah, uh, we get a little bit of pushback, and I suspect there'll be more pushback if in fact uh, uh what we've been saying becomes more generally known. You know, as people become more aware of, you know, there are other ways, or at least we believe there are better ways of dealing with climate change than putting up a wall. I'm I'm sure the hate mail will increase.
0: Well, as we get into our second segment, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about the presidential uh, uh, climate um, commission. That um, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe you'll get some hate mail from them. What what's your just as a great segue, Craig? What's your what's your thoughts on that commission?
1: you know if if we were putting together a commission to study um, uh space and the role of you know NASA and whatever in space, you really wouldn't want to invite flat earthers to uh control that that commission
0: <laughs> but what so, about what about balance
1: but, <laughs> but, well that's exactly you know yeah. And, and you know, the BBC a few years ago uh, finally came out and said, look, we're no longer going to present this uh, uh, climate science denialist. We're not going to give them equal time anymore because it's just foolish. I mean, they're, they're sort of like the flat earthers. Uh, it's ridiculous to for a journalist to say, "Oh, all sides are equal." No, right. all sides aren't equal. Right. Except you know? that now but, we have a,
0: now that we have now we have a president who uh, is in that uh, small, that tiny enclave of people who somehow don't wrap their minds around the reality of climate change.
2: I, I would well, call them right. more, like, more like Holocaust deniers than flat earthers.
0: Yeah, and we're and we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna yeah. let William Happer help make that connection for us later in the program. Uh, Craig, any final words before we have to run to a break?
1: Uh, No, I I just would like to uh, educate the general population on on not just that global warming is real and is going to have severe consequences that the U.S. cannot ignore that we need to deal with proactively, Um, but that one of those consequences is going to be increases in violence, including civil war and uh, international wars, that we cannot ignore.
0: And if people want to read your report, where do they go?
1: Uh, They can download it from my website, uh, www.craiganderson.org. There's a link there for basically all my publications are are online, and so if they click on the link to, you know, recent publications, they can scroll down to the 2019 area, and there it is.
0: All right, Craig, thanks so much for joining us, folks. We've been talking with Craig Anderson, professor of psychology at Iowa State University and author of... Uh, with Andreas uh, Miles Novella of a report documenting – studying how uh, how climate change leads to greater problems involving violence and aggression and that sort of thing. Happy reading. Well, it's not happy reading, but it is important reading. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, how uh, Trump is trying to – President Trump tried to put together a commission to basically deny climate change. And there's a huge backlash against that, including from the U.S. military. We'll be back in a second, folks, on the Fallon Farm. Gailey Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com.
5: Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149.
0: Bold Iowa was launched in 2016 to fight the Dakota Access Pipeline and continues to support the landowners who filed lawsuits against the abuse of eminent domain to build that pipeline. Bold Iowa's mission is to build rural-urban coalitions to fight climate change, prevent the abuse of eminent domain, protect Iowa's soil, air, and water, and support non-industrial renewable energy systems. For more information, visit BoldIowa.com, not dot .org, dot com. That's BoldIowa.com. Ed Fallon, your host here with Dr. Charles Goldman as we discuss uh, all the issues. Well, gosh, if we had to discuss all the issues worth discussing, it would take us forever. But, of course, we tend to prioritize the climate crisis here, folks, because it is a crisis of of unprecedented and existential magnitude. We're also, later in the program, going to talk uh, with uh, Jerry Schnur about Iowa's judicial nominating commissions, which uh, might be of interest to people beyond our state's border because we've got a very good system. Uh, And uh, and yet Republicans want to change it, which is interesting because they might be wanting to change it against their best interests. But for now, let's go back to our conversation about climate change and look at this this, uh, presidential commission that – now, we're getting mixed reports. Just this morning, I thought I read it had
2: been scrapped. You're saying, Charles, it's still on the table. There was a front-page article in the Washington Post uh, slash fake news um, (laughs) that um, there was actually a meeting on – Friday out of the National Security Council, and they, in fact, did discuss in great detail uh, putting together a ad hoc group of uh, federal scientists to reassess the uh, multi-agency assessment that, of course, came out uh, to the president's consternation in November. And that specifically, the reason for doing this is the president was annoyed about the results of the one in November, and especially with the Green right. New Deal now being a big part of um, – the – at least in, in some people's minds, the democratic program, um, he's looking for cover basically to uh, counter So he's, he's trying to create essentially the equivalent
0: of a, of a uh, corporate think tank. Uh, I mean we saw that with, mm-hmm. with uh, Dakota Access, Energy Transfer Partners, creating a 501c3, quote, think tank to basically say that everything is great about oil pipelines. They're not a climate problem. They're not a problem in any way, shape, or form. So he's trying to find a way using the power of government to basically create what uh, otherwise would, in normal uh, normal activity, would be a nonprofit to
2: provide cover. Right. When, and, and what's ironic is his supposed motivation is he wants the American people to decide for themselves by getting diverse opinions. Well, they've already been given diverse opinions and in the interagency uh, report. And you know, no matter what the tr- what the Trump administration does. It doesn't, it doesn't make climate change go away. You can pretend as much as you want. It's not going on. Right, right. And, it, you know, the, the irony is, is that it's always the same with President Trump. Yeah. He's just talking to the people who already agree with him. And I- we already know that young people... Like ninety percent of them believe a climate change exists because you know why they're the ones who are going to be affected right. by it, and because they tend to accept science. But now, who's who the guy that he wants to put in charge of this uh, commission? His,
0: well, it's a senior well, not not in charge of it, but a, but a key member would Correct.
2: be it's William. Actually his plan is a guy by name William Happer. He's a national Se- national security council executive director, senior director. He's a physicist who, in the past, has said that CO two is a gift to humanity, basically. Yeah. Um, wow. And you know we've talked about this on the show previously. Uh, that's a that's a favorite meme from the uh, those you know who are paid bought by the uh, so so the, here, yeah. oil and gas
0: interests. Here's here's Happer. I mean this this guy is bizarre beyond imagination in terms of his assessment, not just of climate, but his his choice of metaphors to describe how he feels about it. Listen to this. And uh, the, the comment I made was. Uh, the demonization of carbon dioxide is just like
1: the demonization of the poor Jews under Hitler. Carbon dioxide is a, actually a benefit to the world, and so were the Jews.
0: I don't even know where to begin to uh, dissect that one, Charles. Well, he he's just showing himself
2: to be another member of the all-star team that surrounds the president. <laughs> yeah, we... Obviously, even... We've talked about it on the show previously. One of the arguments that the... the climate change deniers make is that CO2 is good because it makes uh, plant growth more florid. The only problem is it, it, it renders those plants much less resilient. Right. It actually reduces their nutritional value, not increases it. And ironically, you- it thickens leaves. And this is across multiple crops. It tends to thicken the leaves of plants for reasons we don't understand, and it makes the plants less of a carbon sink than they would be. In fact, if you um, – as as we're starting to see – there is a synergistic effect as you get to this point where we're talking about trying to hold, you know, heating down to less than two uh, centimeters, two degrees Celsius. But in fact, the release of methane from permafrost is going to push us over that. And now, if you take plants and thicken their leaves, it makes them less efficient in sequestering carbon, and that may allow even another one and a half degree rise.
0: So, I mean, there's a very, very small universe of people that are on President Trump's side in his efforts to continue to deny science, and by, in this case, by the creation of a, a special commission. I know he's got Happer on his side, and again, mm-hmm. anybody who demonizes carbon, uh, carbon and puts it in the same category as the persecution of the Jews, uh, it's just, it just crazy talk. But one of uh, one of Trump's uh, major obstacles here is the U.S. military. Uh, Rear Admiral uh, David uh, Titley, uh, he's a USN uh, retired, uh, he's on the advisory board of the uh, Center for Climate and Security. He writes, um, I never thought I would live to see the day in the U.S. where our own White House is attacking the very science agencies that can help the President understand and manage the climate risks of, uh, to security of today and tomorrow. Um, so that's That's – I mean, and and the admiral goes on to say more and more about just how ridiculous it is and how dangerous it is. This isn't just like like, uh, annoying or entertaining because it's so foolish. It's dangerous. It's putting our country at risk. And he's calling them out on it. And I think that's one reason – I don't expect to see this special commission go anywhere because it's so laughable and because it's getting so much
2: pushback from so many people. Well, they're also going to violate the rules. In terms of how they're going to manage this commission, uh, which is supposed to actually have uh, hearings in public and identify its members, this is going to be in secret. So, of course, I mean, he's going to put together a commission that gets the result he wants, but it doesn't make anything change, and that's the biggest problem. As, as the admiral says, you can put your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening, and say we should just, you know, mine more oil and gas. But ultimately, these things are going to come home to roost. You're going to have air force, I'm sorry, military bases underwater. You're gonna basically the Wallace Wells book, you know, the uninhabitable earth that just came out points out that basically to fix climate change we will have to use at least two to three times the present wealth of all of the world to fix that. There's gonna be no room for social programs. It's all gonna be about fixing damage from climate change. Well what about crop subsidies? (laughs)
0: <laughs> ah, anyway, never mind. Um, hey, i got to take a break, folks. Uh, when we come back uh, on the Fallon Forum, uh, Jerry Schnur, an attorney from Fort Dodge, is going to join us to talk about Iowa's judicial nominating commissions, which are indeed biased in favor of Republicans. That's Which correct. is why it's surprising to me that Republicans want to change them. We'll be back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. people, well, welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum here where we will help, help melt, uh, melt the ice just a little bit for you, if we can at least uh, hopefully through conversation to get you riled up. All right, so anyway, I want to take a quick shout-out to some of the local businesses that help make this program possible. Again, Gateway Marketing Cafe, thanks to our anchor sponsor at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. Thanks also to CPA, Community CPA and Associates, located in Des Moines and Iowa City. This is uh, tax season, folks. Sorry to have to tell you that. So give Yingsaw at Community CPA a shout before the IRS gets a hold of you. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating critters large and small for over 30 years. And thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with very friendly, helpful service. And thanks to Diversity Insurance located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Your insurance needs all under one roof. That's 1541 East Grand. No appointment needed. Okay, onward to our conversation here with uh, with uh, Jerry Schnur about the state of Iowa's Judicial Nominating Commission's. Uh, we tend to focus on the, the, the commission that, uh, that, uh, that makes uh,
2: recommendations for the Iowa Supreme Court, but folks may not know that there are also there are, yeah, 16 other, 16 other nominating districts and then the panel for the Iowa Court of Appeals as well as the Iowa uh, Supreme Court. And so we asked Jerry to come on. He's the vice president of the Iowa Bar Association. He uh, is a uh, general and civil litigation lawyer up in Fort Dodge, which I guess is now closed down today because of the snow. So, Jerry, maybe if you could um, sort of summarize, because there, there's been a revision to the original uh, bill that was proposed. Is that correct?
4: Yes, as I as I understand it, um, the changes originally proposed would um, allow the governor to choose all members uh, of half the members of the commission, and then. The legislative leadership to choose the uh, attorney uh, members of each commission, Uh, they have changed that now so that this change would just apply to the state judicial nominating commission. The district uh, nominating commissions would remain as is. There are some other provisions um, in there that have to deal with judicial residency and so forth. Um, statewide judicial residency so that if a position opened up, say in Des Moines, anybody in the state could apply there or vice versa. If, um, you know, you could apply for any judicial opening in the state, you would have, if you were appointed, you'd have to move to that district within 90 days of your appointment. So, so
0: Jerry, can you explain to people how the, how the members, again, the, the commissions are responsible for recommending, uh, right. appointees to the, judicial nominating commission, and again, there's one at the state level, and there's one at each of the districts. And some of those members are appointed and some are elected. Can you explain how that works?
4: Sure. So uh, the Constitution of Iowa provides uh, right now that the, and, and the legislation under which this law uh, was enacted, um, provides that the governor appoints half the members to the state judicial nominating commission and then the lawyers in uh, the state uh, elect the lawyer members to that commission and in each district the lawyers in those districts elect the members to the commission and the governor appoints the other half there are five appointed members in the district commissions and five elected lawyer members Um, right now the makeup of those commissions uh, obviously um, is going to be uh, heavily Republican. Uh, the Republican governor, uh, like the Democratic governors before them, will appoint members of their same party to uh, those commissions. The lawyers then will elect the lawyer representatives. For a lawyer to get on those commissions, uh, on the state commission, the lawyer has to get 50 signatures on a petition. On the state judicial nominating commissions, they have to get 10 signatures on the commission to get their name on the ballot, uh, to put your name forward uh, to be uh, elected. Those elections uh, are not, um, well, I'll back up, the the Iowa State Bar Association has nothing to do with the selection of the lawyers on the commissions. Those votes come from lawyers, whether they're members or not, of the Iowa State Bar Association. Who
2: who, who, um, runs the elections?
4: So uh, those elections are run by the um, co- uh, state court administrator uh, and the district court administrators.
2: Do they use paper ballots or electronic? <laughs> uh,
4: well, yeah, so that's a good point. But uh, for, the elect- for the election of lawyers, those are electronic. There's a secure website uh, that lawyers have to um, sign into. Through the court administration, uh, where we—it's the same website—through uh, the court administration, for which lawyers have to file their annual reports on how many continuing education hours they've had, and some other reports that we have to file, and so we have to sign on to that website, and uh, that's where we can vote uh, in these elections.
2: Now, so the Iowa Bar Association, uh, along with other entities, has has come out against these changes. Uh, Changes to – a plan I would say historically was put in place to avoid partisanship uh, back in the 60s, which at that time was perceived as democratic partisanship. And uh, on the other side, we only have two registered uh, proponents, one the family leader because they don't like decisions that legalize gay marriage. And then the Koch-funded Center for American Prosperity, which we don't need to say anything more about them. Um, So the IBA has taken a position against this revision. Could you tell us why?
4: Sure. Uh, The Bar Association uh, thinks that these revisions will inject uh, too much partisan politics into the system. Um, When you uh, have politicians basically making the decision on the state level... Uh, Right now, the way it's set up, the governor makes the appointments of um, six members to the State Judicial Nominating Commission. The most senior justice on the Iowa Supreme Court serves as the chair of the commission, which is kind of an administrative and advisory position. Uh, The the chair only votes to break ties. Um, And so um, those uh, nominated by the governor have to be approved by the Senate. The, one of the changes takes away that Senate approval. In other words, the governor appoints whoever they want uh, and takes away that wow. check on, on the governor's appointment powers.
0: I'm actually surprised that Republicans are doing this because it's very short-sighted. There's no there's no reason why Democrats couldn't again gain control of the House, the Senate, the governor's office. And you could see this work against uh, their
2: intention. I, I don't understand why they think this is a good idea over the long haul especially since they already control in excess of by 30% what would you predict based on the distribution of voters in the United, in in Iowa they have a 2 to, two to two 1, one too much influence as it is already Yeah they got a 2 to 1 margin over Democrats yeah. already.
4: <laughs> right. And that and, and that's I mean that's the point right there is at some at some point uh, the Democrats will be in charge of whether it's the governor's office and or the legislature. And, and one of the changes here is they want to, uh, the, the legislation suggests and wants to have the president of the Senate, the minority leader, the Speaker of the House, and the minority leader choose the members of the commission. Now, um, one of the concerns is that, um, and this is not critical, it would, it would be true no matter which party they were from, uh, is that those folks, uh, as good as they are, won't know lawyers in all parts of the state, um, or all congressional districts, because the state commission right now has to be balanced based on congressional districts and a balance between uh, and gender balance, male and female balance. And so they won't know the lawyers. So where do they get the names of the lawyers to appoint to the commissions? It will be those who are politically active, or the political donors uh, will be the ones that will be nominated by those politicians. And so the Bar Association uh, just thinks it's a bad idea by injecting politics. Uh, you're absolutely right. The history of this was uh, uh, this proposal back in the late 50s uh, was to address what was seen at that time, uh, Democratic control uh, of election of judges, that too many Democrats were being elected. And so uh, the uh, there was a Republican uh, fellow up here in Hampton, Iowa, who became a judge, Judge Ullenhop, and, and he got to work and thought um, we should do something else. They adopted what was called the Missouri Plan, which was uh, in uh, the plan for selecting judges at that time in Missouri. The legislature uh, passed it, uh, changed the Constitution so that this is the method in which we choose judges in an effort to try and get uh, po- political uh, Politicians out of the system as much as possible, and and, re, and reduce the political influence in the judiciary, so that. Uh, the result of that, then, has been that Iowa has one of the best judiciaries in yeah. the country.
0: There are so many examples of why having a partisan judiciary is a bad idea. And, and the one that uh, that strikes me as the most— the, You mean uh, the U.S. Supreme Court? Well, <laughs> well not even that. But uh, there was a—I can't remember the district, but the the uh, the Scranton, Pennsylvania Judicial District— uh, and again, in Pennsylvania, they elect judges, judges' campaign. They take campaign contributions. They put up yard signs. They go out there and whatever they do, knock on doors, whatever they do to get elected. Uh, but it's just like a political office. But this one a judge, I can't remember his name. Maybe you remember his name, Jerry. He, um, he won. A lot of his money came from a private uh, juvenile detention center in which he himself was invested. And he was uh, sending people, sending young people through his courtroom – uh, with, without without any consideration at all for the circumstances, I mean, he was filling that that, that detention center, and he was caught doing that. He was, the connection was exposed, and he ended up doing prison time. I don't know if you yeah. remember the situation,
4: but I, I have a, I, yeah, I do have a vague memory of that. And there's examples all over the place um, of that happening. Um, you know, if if judges, you know, there was. Um, a recent speech by Chief Justice Roberts where he talks about um, how important it is to keep politics out of the judiciary yeah. and because of the role of the courts is not to serve the, uh, the political will of the party necess- parties necessarily, but to serve the Constitution and to serve the law. And he gives examples of uh, times when the Supreme Court has made mistakes, um, and he talks about the Korematsu decision, where the Supreme Court uh, made a politically popular decision in the Japanese internment cases, finding those uh, were legal and a proper exercise of uh, FDR's uh, uh, powers under uh, in World War II.
0: Jerry, and I got to take a, I got to take a quick one hundred and twenty second, literally break, and 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 I want to come th- back. I want to, you know, to me, it's really not the Democrats or the Republicans who are going to be the victims of this legislation. Uh, It's the no party voters. I'll be back in a minute. If you can hang with us. You bet. All right. When it's time to entertain, think of gateway market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut to order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef prepared dips and spreads, or let gateway's catering team take care of the entire event right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining.
5: Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
3: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six
5: days a week. Make Ritual
3: Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
5: For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's
0: 515-288-3188. Hey, folks, Ed Fallon with you here, welcoming you back to the last uh, little segment of our program here. We're talking with uh, Jerry Schnur, an attorney from uh, from, uh, Fort Dodge uh, under the uh, watchful eye of the Polar polar vortex uh, snowed in today, um, but I want to ask you, Jerry. The um, judicial nominating commissions again. There are seventy-seven members appointed by the governor. There are seventy-seven members elected by the by the by the bar association. Uh, by, well, by, that, by by that's by lawyers. Um, and uh, again, the, the 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 administration's appointments are extremely uh, imbalanced: seventy Republicans, three Democrats. And among elected, forty-four Democrats, twenty-five Republicans. That's much more imbalance, but but what I really notice is that among the hundred and what forty or fifty-four whatever it is members, only twelve are no party. And yet no party voters are the biggest bloc in the state. So out of one hundred and fifty four members, twelve are no party. How do we address that that uh, that discrepancy?
4: Well, I'm not sure we do and and one of the here's my thought on that you know when when um uh governor vilsack and governor culver were in that was uh the appointed members were uh members of the democratic party and you've identified one of the problems with the plan is that the whole thing will flip if there's a change in the governor's office within two years probably so um I don't know that you can unless you want to start considering political affiliation or non-affiliation. And the Constitution specifically prohibits appointments based on political affiliation, the consideration of political affiliation. Now, does it happen? Apparently, it probably does.
0: Pretty clearly, I think.
4: Yeah, Yeah. but, but the Constitution says we cannot set up a system by legislation or otherwise that says we have to have a breakdown by political party uh, Democrat, Republican um, or independent. We can't do that under the Constitution so we'd have to change the Constitution to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, that's a that's question I wanted to ask you, Jerry, which is since this system was set up as a part of the Iowa Constitution how is this legislation not inherently unconstitutional?
4: Yeah, so uh, there was a um, in the, in the Constitution, when they set it up, they put a provision in there that in, um, by 1974 they could um, make changes for how the commissions might be established and populated. Um, and so the basic structure would stay in place under the Constitution, but the Constitution did allow for some type of changes. And so these changes are being uh, Put forth under that part of the constitutional amendment, which did allow for some um, changes, but not structural changes um, that goes. I don't think that goes to the heart of the um, structure of our our commission system.
2: Well, and I think something you and I talked about is is that we spend way too much time with what are justices' positions on two issues in this state. Yeah. One being abortion, the other being the uh, the right to gay marriage, and yet. As we as you and I talked about, the reason to have lawyers involved is that ninety five ninety eight percent of what uh, appeals courts do and also district courts do are dry procedural precedent bound rulings that right. um have nothing to do with these two hot button issues This is why judges frequently fall asleep at the bench
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I made that up <laughs> yeah I, I can't confirm that so,
2: yeah, so i mean i it, it it's it's ludicrous to use these two issues as a litmus test. Um, yeah,
4: it, 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 it truly is. Um,
0: Jerry, I we got to wrap up the show. Maybe give us a 30-second summary, and then we're going to have to cut it off, I'm afraid.
4: Okay, well, here's what the Bar Association is concerned about. Uh, the Bar Association wants to uh, keep the system we have because it minimizes political influence, partisan politics in the selection of judges and in the judicial process we want to maintain the merit selection process which chooses judges on their merit on their ability their temperament their integrity the intelligence and their legal ability uh, and not inject uh, partisan politics into the system we have the best one of the best there is in the country and we ought to keep it that way
0: Alright, well Jerry, thanks so much for joining us folks, thanks, we've been Jerry. talking to Jerry Schnoor an uh, attorney from Fort Dodge about the Judicial Nominating Commission, if you're listening on our community radio stations, stay tuned otherwise, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum broadcasting live at 11 o'clock Central on Mondays <laughs> Welcome back to Alan, forum. Before we talk about um, the prostitution sting in Jupiter, Florida, that snagged uh, Patriot owner Robert Kraft, proving that maybe he's not so crafty after all. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about the um, the bird dogging on climate change going on here in Iowa, with the horde of presidential candidates that are swarming the state. Uh, Just this past uh, weekend, um, I I mean, there are people all all over the state doing this, but we've uh, here in Des Moines, uh, there were at least a dozen people involved with questioning candidates about climate, and those candidates included Kamala Harris uh, and um, John Hickenlooper, the, reform- the, the former Colorado uh, governor, and also um, uh, Julian Castro, the former mayor of uh, San Antonio. Who is was that, his, also is the that Castro's
2: first time in the state?
0: Um, well, I think, you no, know, he'd been here before, okay. but my first time meeting him. So it's— um, it's fascinating because uh, we really have an amazing crop of candidates, just in terms of um, people who seem to have some grasp of policy and um, present well. I- I've never seen a group this um, this articulate and this um, this diverse either, mm-hmm. hands down the most diverse. But the uh, th- there seems to be an inclination to, again, treat climate change as another issue, uh, even though they will mention it as a crisis, some even say an existential crisis, when the actual – when when, when you kind of process what they're saying in in, in the context of the entire message, not just from the stump, but when you look at what their their, their emails are talking about, when you look at their websites, it's clear that they don't get the urgency of climate change, which leads me to say to agree with, uh, (laughs) with those who've been saying that, well, maybe the Democratic Party is just the other party of climate denial, because even though they say they get it, if they aren't treating it as an urgent existential threat, then maybe they really don't get it. And that's my concern, is even though we have more and more people who are talking about climate change at these forums, at these town halls, at these meet and greets, the candidates still
2: aren't really describing it as a crisis. I I mean, I don't understand how, you know, the Democrats are looking for a new economic platform. You know, and... They're going to to concentrate, obviously, on— Is is that code for socialism? Well, (laughs) actually, while you're gone, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this issue of socialism, which, to be perfectly honest, the Democrats need to answer much better than they've answered to this point. But I think, as I said, you know, I was on two weeks ago, there's such an obvious linkage to me between the new economy that will require people of skills that vary from top to bottom needs to be directed towards what the Green New Deal is talking about. You know, don't let the Republicans win on issues like they're going to take away, you know, the $1 hamburger at McDonald's from you. No, the, the way to revive the economy is to move into areas of innovation. And the Green New Deal is, uh, is about technologic innovation. And that should be – this is, should be, I agree with you, the fulcrum, which is the new economy which will bring back people who formerly worked in manufacturing to do the jobs that cannot be done in an automation fashion – should be part and parcel of of what the Democratic program is. That would be something new. Instead, they're going to get talked out of it because the president is making fun of it, you know, as they usually do. They listen to the Republicans, (laughs) and they get talked out of what they should be running on. They should be running on that this is where America can, once again, take leadership at the same time that it's doing the right thing for the world. We still emit 2 thirds of the carbon dioxide emissions in this world. And we don't have anywhere near the most people. Is it really two thirds? It's still yeah. It's nearly two thirds. Yeah. You know, and so, um, and then if, if we consider I, I, that we've essentially outsourced carbon dioxide production to China for a huge amount of what we use in this country, it may even be more.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure it's that high, but I'll, I'll, well, I, I can't look it up now. So we'll take your yeah, word for
2: it. It it it's high. Yeah. it's high. And yeah. and and that's the point. I think that there's been not a single infrastructure bill that's been done, unless you consider building the wall an infrastructure bill. Oh. Wow. Um, <laughs> And this is what the Democrats should be talking about. They should be wholeheartedly saying it's not just as an existential crisis, but it's a salvation for this economy. Right, going backwards right. 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 is not the salvation. Yeah. Well, Diane Feinstein,
0: uh, Feinstein, certainly got her um, her um, moment of fame recently with uh, a confrontation from her younger constituents, uh, who she talked down to in a really. Uh, I, I was uh, I was surprised at how demeaning uh, a U.S. senator could be. To uh, constituents, even those not quite old enough to vote, that that um, that went viral and uh, mm-hmm. does not reflect well on her.
2: Well, this is this is what Mayor Pete's argument is.
0: Mayor Pete from uh, South Bend, Indiana, yeah, right? right?
2: Budigich. Uh, something like yeah. that. Yeah, that, is, <laughs> that that has been a consistent part of what he has been talking about. And yes, he's a fringe candidate, and yes, he's too young, and whatever else they'll come up with, but. But this is what he's been saying. This guy's a Rhodes Scholar. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's checked the boxes. He's smart. He's been in the military, so they can't hold out against him. (laughs) Um, You know, the issue of being gay is irrelevant to younger voters. Um, And what he is saying is this is a a crucial time intergenerationally. And the issue for younger voters is, in fact, climate change, because they know they're the ones who are going to get. Right. hurt the most right. if we don't mitigate it.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, we could talk a lot about uh, the responses of the various candidates to the climate and bird-dogging that's been going on here in Iowa. And I know we're going to have plenty happening. of time to do that because this is going yeah, on it's for been, a year. Yeah, it's, been, happening in, uh, it's right. been going on pretty uh, extensively in New Hampshire as well. But uh, turning our eyes to the other end of the country, Florida, Jupiter, not the planet, the
2: city in Florida. <laughs> um, they had to tell out to President Trump. They did. I mean, they had to explain that. Right, 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 right. He said, it's, it's what's Kraft doing on Jupiter? <laughs> <laughs> Vacationing on Iowa. <laughs> well, he was actually, as usual, uh, visiting Mar-a-Lago. Right, you know, of course. Which he spends a lot of time at, Robert Kraft. And he got caught um, in a sting operation right. at a, um, I, you know, I hear this guy is a multimillionaire. And a number of the people who were on that list that they generated for this massage parlor are also high-level executives with a lot of money. And they're going into this horribly dirty facility in a strip mall in Jupiter, Florida, for their massages. Yeah. So and anyway. It, and they just put those in quotes. Correct. correct? Right. Yeah. So it turns out that um, this was part of a, a sting operation, which also involves that the women there were probably sexually trafficked.
0: Yeah, which is horrifying. Which
2: is horrifying. But one thing that's – well, first of all, that so Kraft gets caught. Um, And, you know, uh, from what I understand, you know, the reaction in the NFL, uh, you know, is that they're going to suspend Brady for eight games. Um, No, (laughs) you you made that up. You totally made that up. I did make that up. So, yeah, yeah, Roger Goodell's... Sitting so, uh, in the offices, so trying to figure out how can yeah. I suspend Brady. So instead of gate, this would be Krafts inflate gate. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> well, of course, there were a number of terrible jokes about the gate, uh, but we'll ignore those. Yeah, and we start making more jokes about Inflategate. <laughs> but anyway, right. so the thing that that really struck me was this, um, that uh, you know, I, I watch a lot of MSNBC and CNN, and and to be perfectly honest, I, there are times that they do have absolutely Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, which is, you know, what Fox accuses them of, yeah. um, because somehow Kraft getting caught. And now let's let's be clear, he didn't own the massage parlor; he's just a john there, and he got caught in the sting. You know, I, I guess if, if it's somehow his responsibility to ask where these women come from, but I don't think that that's the responsibility that. You know, in previous prostitution investigations, we expect of the of the the customers. I,
0: I think it's I think it's any 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 consumer's responsibility, whether consumer <laughs> consuming something legal or something illegal. Right. It, it's your it's your obligation to have some sense of of what you're consuming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm well, putting it in very crass terms right now. Right. But but that's but, the, but and but, that's
2: exactly and, and, the, that's what that's and kind the, of what the MSNBC CNN point was is that this is somehow linked. To the sexual trafficking issue, and that Trump is lying about the sexual trafficking issue, which he is, because he yes. thinks it's people being brought, up, brought across the board in the back of cars with you know duct tape over their mouth, when the vast majority of people, first of all, are, are American citizens who are abducted, yeah. or they are uh, oftentimes Asian women who are brought over, flown over with visas, who just overstay their visas and disappear into the sexual trafficking trade, which obviously is a H- disgusting horrifying. and horrendous... Horrifying. You know, human slavery trade,
0: and uh, it would be uh, yeah, okay. I'm,
2: but, it, I'm, but the I'm, thing I'm gonna... is, craft has nothing to do with the sex trafficking. But I, I'm going to assume that he's bright enough to know that what, that's what's going on. How? How could you not know that's what's going on? Well, what's he going to do? Walk in and say, "Can I see their visas?" <laughs> I actually say before that, "Can I see their HIV and hepatitis tests?"
0: Well, well, okay, but when you when you when you see when you see a basically a brothel, yeah. Um, full of uh, you know' that's, that's primarily the the, custom- the, uh, the, uh, the the with the folks working there are primarily Asian primarily Chinese that should set up red flags that should make you really really suspicious
2: well how's that different than well, the reflexology places around Des Moines well I, I, anyway I, yeah I, I, I mean I, I understand what you're saying but you see this this is exactly what happened which is somehow it became a sex trafficking issue when really it's just catching a rich guy paying for sex. And, and what I end up discussing, actually, with some people is if you want to address this problem in, the, in a multifaceted way, do what they do in Nirvana. Legalize prostitution. It's time for the American people to grow up. Because <laughs> as a public health issue, actually using, using regulation... Of prostitution goes back to the Civil War times because during, you know, the Union encampments, a number of the the doctors were involved in in doing just that, doing exams on the women who were the camp followers in hopes of reducing the spread of illness, you know, from from the Union soldiers who were uh, uh, frequenting, you know, these camp followers. And the reality is, is that Legalizing prostitution allows you one to do public health things like make sure people who are HIV positive or hepatitis positive are not having sexual contact with others right. It would re- it would licensing would require that they be here on legal visas yeah, and you know, that uh, you know you it would reduce the ability at least in, in the open trade yeah. to sexually to use sexual trafficking to, to man you know to, to, to have the women or men. In these facilities, um, and it would, in fact, it, it, it you know, as much as you can make the argument, as as we as you know, many people on the left do that this is objectifying women or objectifying men. It's that's not going to change the fact that prostitution is, as an enterprise, has existed almost since right. the beginning of humankind <laughs> as a group. And one one one, one uh,
0: dimension that's important not to overlook is that the incidence of uh, of of. of I mean, maybe it's not all for sex trafficking, but the incidence of uh, of of missing and murdered Indigenous women is higher, way higher than the than that in the population as a whole. Mm-hmm. This is a concern that that our Native allies has been have been bringing forward, and trying to get some changes done in, in the U.S. Congress through the uh, Violence Against Women Act. Um, and that's you know, it's um, it's not just an issue of uh, of people being brought from elsewhere to. And in, this, in the case of this place in Florida, basically, basically no, two enslaved of sexual trafficking. Two-thirds
2: of sexual trafficking is American citizens. And a, children. And, and, and a, and a disturbing, number,
0: disturbing number of those are
2: from, are indigenous. Well, a disturbing number of them are from this part of the country. Yeah, from the Midwest. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and that, that's what I was so disappointed about, which is instead of using, you know, they asked the president, well, what do you think? Well, what's he going to say? This is a friend of his he's always loyal to his friends right and and so what was he going to say I mean and it what was, did he say I, I didn't he said he's very sad to hear about it and so they <laughs> criticized him on CNN and MSNBC for not using it as an opportunity to speak out against sex trafficking when he spent so much time speaking about sex trafficking at the wall
0: but what you're proposing is uh, is fairly radical but uh, there's a lot of there's some logic to it you you create a, a healthier work environment if prostitution is legalized right you uh, presumably you take a, uh, you, you take a I, – I don't know if it reduces the uh, risk of, um, of, uh, of, of sex trafficking. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you ever get rid of that entirely, but maybe, maybe this I, – I haven't thought that through. I know one thing, speaking of – as somebody used to live in the inner city of Des Moines mm-hmm. where prostitution was on the streets uh, all night long uh, and extremely disruptive um, and even dangerous in some circumstances, uh, it would get rid of that problem. But um, I, I don't know. It's uh, I I'm, I don't think America is ready for that conversation
2: yet, which is really bizarre because they're ready uh, to talk about, you know, using marijuana recreationally in Iowa. Yeah. And you know, the poll that came out shows a fair number of Iowans 78% are ready. percent. Well, that was plus. for medi- that was for medicalization, oh, right, expanding right. the indications for medical marijuana. But there was a, a, a pretty large plurality of Iowans who said just make it legal for recreation. Yeah. Mostly to keep people out of jail for. Yeah. possession of minor amounts of marijuana yeah. no I, I, I it's it's just not dealing in reality and so it's just like it's not it's not it's like not vaccinating yourself against the measles
1: hmm.
2: you know it's a public health issue it's it's instead we always decided as a somehow an ethical issue but it's a really a public health issue and also the the ethics would be this would shut off one route in which to take women. Predominantly, and put them in, uh, you know, the sexual trafficking industry. Yeah.
0: I, I I do think the conversation about legalization of prostitution is an important one to have. I'm not sure
2: tying it to I'm going to set up to a secret organization to bird dog the candidates. <laughs> Are you really right <laughs> now? Yeah, no. no, I'll, I'll, I'll bet that doesn't go very well for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but but
0: I'm not sure that I'm not sure tying it to what happened in Jupiter, Florida, with Robert Kraft and others is
2: is the right hook, I, I think people are not ready to make that shift. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, but, you know, again, it, it's an opportunity. Instead, they took it as an opportunity to once again gotcha with the president, which to me was was really, I thought it was just inappropriate. Here, here you are defending Trump.
0: Know, what was he going <laughs> to say? This is a friend
2: of his. What is he going to say? Yeah, yeah. Well, at least Tom Brady wasn't there. <laughs> believe me <laughs> believe me Goodell's on the phone with the Jupiter the police saying are you sure <laughs> but it is going to be interesting to see what the NFL does about Kraft Yeah, you know as to whether he's going to have to do kind of serve the penalty like Ursae where he has to be hands off the team for some period of time um, I, that to me is not the most compelling issue about it but nevertheless yeah. for yeah. some of this
0: well and again I, I think the, the to me the most disturbing thing about this is is uh, is how it further exposes the uh, the tremendous injustice of sex trafficking and how little really is being done about it. You know. Anyway, I, I mean this is this is one sting operation. How how many? What, 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 there there are literally thousands of places like this across the country. So we would have anyway. to assume, yeah. All right. Hey, uh, thanks uh, for tuning in, folks. Charles Goldman and Ed Fallon here with you on the Fallon Forum.